Hi, and welcome to Wealthy On. I'm James Connor. And before I introduce you to our guest, just a quick reminder to subscribe to our channel, WealthyOn.com. We have some amazing interviews coming up in the coming weeks, all of which will help you protect and grow your wealth during these uncertain times. And the best way to be made aware of what's happening on Wealthy On is to subscribe to the channel and also hit that notification button to be kept up to date on future events. And now I want to introduce you to our guest, Chris Mancini. Chris is an associate portfolio manager of the Gabilly Gold Fund, and Gabilly is a bottoms-up value fund based in New York and manages just over $29 billion in assets. Chris is focused on the gold sector, and we're going to get his views on whether or not now is a good time to invest in gold and gold equities. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. How are things in New York? Jimmy, um, they are good. They are good. Not too cold. 28 degrees this morning, but sunny. Um, so, like, very doable. And uh, and it's a, a nice respite after a super wet and cloudy and gray, like, like week, I think, we had last week, which was miserable. So, it's, things are good in New York. Thanks. Yes, it's almost like spring is in the air. Things are definitely looking up. Yes, I hope so. Feels that way. Feels that way. <laughs> Hopefully for the gold price too, but um, we'll, we'll see. Chris, before we do the deep dive on gold, I want to get your thoughts on the broader economy and if there's anything that's concerning you right now or if there's anything that's keeping you up at night. Yeah, I mean, I think that the big picture is that the Fed has done so much. Um, there's been so much intervention by the Federal Reserve over the past few years in terms of the enormous amount of quantitative easing that they did in all different types of asset classes. And then the very swift and rapid tightening that they've undertaken um, in in the past, uh, like in the past year or so as they've raised rates. And then they've also um, drained some liquidity from the system in terms, of the, in terms of the quantitative easing. So, I mean, this has been a very rapid and very significant um, tightening of monetary policy. And it seems like everything's okay but we are seeing some like cracks beneath the surface. We're seeing kind of um, uh, credit card delinquencies going up, um, auto loan delinquencies going up, uh, the consumer saving rate going up. So it, it's it's it seems like everything's okay, and there is this kind of Goldilocks narrative going on right now. But it just it just you know it, it seems it seems unlikely to me that um, that we will have gotten out of this type of like enormous monetary experiment um with with you know very little material repercussions to the to the economy very interesting viewpoints chris thank you for that one of the things we try to do at wealthy on is provide investors with insights on how to protect and grow their wealth and you and your team believe gold and gold equities can do that and i want to begin our discussion right here why should investors own gold and gold equities what are the benefits of doing so well the reason to own gold is as a hedge against the monetary authorities not getting everything right in terms of this Goldilocks scenario um, not coming to fruition. And so now the thing is that, so like, what does that mean? What that means is that um, if the Fed does undertake more quantitative easing um, and essentially printing money, then it could cause an inflation like was caused during the COVID or ordeal or as a result of the COVID or ordeal. So 
we we have seen prices increase prices broadly in the United States around 23% higher than they were at the beginning of the COVID ordeal. So um, again, like, like it seems like we're in the scenario where the quantitative easing is here to stay. Money printing is here to stay. And, uh, and like inflation might be here to stay. So currency debasement might be here to stay, meaning that as currency loses its value, hard assets like gold, like gold will maintain their value in terms of that of that currency. And the other thing to, to, to keep in mind is that is that these situations could happen quickly. So we saw with um, the failure of First Republic and Silicon Valley Bank um, and then the other banks in New York, the, the Sterling Bank in New York that happened very quickly. The Fed set up facilities in which it, it, it injected liquidity into the system of essentially printing money. And gold went up when that happened. Um, I think that if we were to see a weakening in the economy now, so so like a, a, after we saw a very strong non-farm payroll number, if we were to start seeing weakness in those numbers, um, I think that there would be a view or narrative in the market that the Fed would start QE again. And so I think gold would run. So it makes sense for everybody to have a little bit of gold in their portfolio, again, as a hedge against like a Goldilocks scenario not transpired. Yes, Chris, you mentioned the regional banking crisis, and I have to be honest, I almost forgot about that. That was almost a year ago, but it was amazing how the whole thing was contained relatively quickly by the Fed, and it did not spread the way a lot of people thought it would. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I think that they did it through printing money, just like um, they were able to really contain um, the whole COVID ordeal where the whole world economy was shut down in this, in this circumstance. The United States economy was shut down by printing money and buying assets. Now, again, that resulted in, in the prices of goods being 23% higher now than they were then. And, you know, if other banks do start to fail in the United States because of either higher, higher rates or, or delinquencies or um, uh, commercial real estate, you know, what will be the response of the Fed? It probably will print more money. So again, like they do contain these things, but, but there is an eventual cost. Um, and, and, you know, and, and to the degree that, that we stay in this cycle of, you know, kind of things are okay, then a crisis or a recession and quantitative easing is the result to the extent that we stay in this type of cycle. Um, inflation will likely be here to stay and gold will continue to kind of hold its value. So along that same vein, central banks have been large buyers in recent years of gold in, in last year. In the last year, they purchased, I believe, over 1,200 tons and there was just over 13 3,200 tons produced, so a relatively large amount. But maybe you can tell us why central banks have been so aggressive in acquiring gold. Yeah, central banks are buying gold because, I mean, it 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 highlights again the value of gold in a in a kind of similar or kind of ancillary um, way to the to to how I was describing it. In that, gold is an asset which is um, which is nobody's liability and can't be replicated, right? So, so we see with, um, with the inflation that took place in the United States and also around the world, like Canada too, um, it was because of all of the money that was printed. And as the money is printed, 
it causes the the the, the price of things to go up in those money terms, right? And and so so as the price of those other assets go up or those just goods go up in money terms, gold also goes up in value. Um, but but we saw something a lot more concrete relative to um, the value of gold um, compared to paper currency in what happened in Russia after Russia invaded Ukraine. So after Russia invaded Ukraine, um, the United States and other European countries essentially confiscated Russia's U.S. dollar and euro-denominated reserves. So Russia held around $500 billion of reserves, and a portion of that was in U.S. treasuries, a portion of that was in euro-denominated bonds. And when um, after Russia invaded Ukraine, the United States and Europe said, we are not going to pay you back, essentially. So, so Russia loaned us and European countries money in terms of owning those bonds. And we said, look, we're not going to pay you back. So, so, so Russia thought that it had hard currency reserves. And it turned out that they didn't. And, um, and gold, obviously, they, they also held and still hold lots of gold. That gold, obviously, is in a vault in Moscow or wherever it is in Russia. And that can't be taken away, can't be confiscated. They don't have to worry that someone's going to pay them back. Lots of countries around the world are realizing what happened with Russia. Um, and so China, for example, owns around a trillion dollars of U.S. treasuries. And um, they're essentially lending us uh, a trillion dollars. I think that they saw what happened with Russia and they're saying, hey, you know, wait a second. You know, is the U.S. going to pay us back? And um, and so they're diversifying. They've been, they were the biggest buyer of gold last year amongst uh, global central banks. So, so I think that they're going to continue to buy. I think that other countries are seeing that and, and, and it becomes self-fulfilling um, as gold becomes more of the go-to, you know, store of value, hard currency asset for central banks. It can be, uh, it, it, can, it can be kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. Well, that's a very interesting point. And I'd be curious to know if Russian, even other countries were also buying Bitcoin for the same reasons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and that's the point. The answer is no. I mean, it, or, or at least not, not as far as we know. And I highly doubt that they were. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing is that Russia has gold reserves in the ground. China has gold reserves in the ground, right? So they can actually, um, they can mine gold and add to their reserve base, add to their currency reserve base. The United States has the biggest um, reserve of gold in Fort Knox and the, and the Federal Reserve in New York, but we also have actually very big gold reserves in the ground in Nevada um, and, you know, various other places in the U.S. So, so no, I mean, like, the, the, they, they are not going to buy Bitcoin as a store of hard value. They own gold and they'll, they own gold in the ground. They'll continue to own gold. And that's a meaningful, a meaningful difference between Bitcoin and, and gold. So central banks have been buying the physical gold. Now let's talk about what's happening with ETFs, both the GLD and also gold equity ETFs. What are you seeing there? What are the flows like? Yeah, so in the gold-backed ETFs like GLD, and there's another one called IAU and, and other ones even around the world that are similar. So what they do is they go out. So if you own um, 
one share of GLD, uh, it's equal to a little bit less than a tenth of an ounce of gold. Um, And it's interesting because it is worth less than a tenth of an ounce because it started out at a tenth of an ounce, but the GLD takes a fee out of your share, out of your ounce, out of your tenth of an ounce every year. And that's why right now it's down to like something like 0.9 something ounces um, uh, in one share of GLD. But anyway, but um, but but the point is that you if you buy GLD, it's tenth of an ounce. And what we've seen is that uh, there's been a, a very big decline in the number of ounces in gold backed ETFs. And that's obviously because uh, investors and speculators and whomever market participants are selling the gold-backed ETFs. And so since, it's interesting, like since uh, the, the, the end of 2020, actually when the, the vaccine was released and there was a view that this COVID thing was going to be resolved, um, we've had around 625 million ounces come out of gold-backed ETFs. And they continue to come out this year. Uh, there have been, I think it's like 10 million ounces so far just this year. I think have come out of the gold-backed ETFs. So, so market participants in the U.S. and other parts of the world are saying that they don't need gold, and that's in stark contrast to uh, what's happening amongst, amongst uh, central banks. Interesting points, Chris. So, gold is trading around two thousand dollars an ounce, and it was up small in two thousand and twenty-three. I believe somewhere between five to ten percent. But when you look at the gold equities, they're not really benefiting from this move at all. Like most were down significantly in 2023. And if we look at Newmont, for example, the world's largest gold producer, it peaked at $85 in 2022. Now it's trading in the low 30s. It's down 20% year to date, and we're only two months into the year. And I can say the same thing about a number of other gold producers. The GLD is doing a little bit better. It's up small in the, on the year, I believe, around between 5 to 10%. But these equities are not factoring in this higher gold price of $2,000 an ounce. And I want to hear your opinion as to why that is. Well, I think what's happening is that um, for the gold miners, what happened was that very specifically, as the price of gold went up, like I was saying, because of the money printing and the inflation that took place um, during the whole COVID ordeal, um, the the cost to mine went up. And it, it went up at a faster rate than broader inflation because um, it's much harder. It was much harder to operate a gold mine as it, it be, than it was to operate like an asset management firm where I work or a brokerage firm or, or whatever, right? Or an advertising agency, blah, blah, blah. Because a gold mine um, or any type of mine, you have to actually have individuals there on the ground, obviously. You can't work from home. Um, and then during the COVID uh, ordeal, there were lots of government restrictions that caused uh, the companies to need to socially distance individuals. Um, lots of mines are remote. Lots of gold mines are remote. And so what that means is that you need to fly people in and out. Um, so that got to be extremely expensive in terms of the shift, you know, in the rosters and so that you had, so, so that you wouldn't have in terms of social distancing and all that crazy stuff, um, and quarantine and whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and so it just got to be, and, 
and also the other thing was that like with the, all of the the government stimulus and kind of like the paying people to stay at home and that kind of thing, it became a lot more difficult to entice or incentivize individuals to leave their houses when they're getting paid by the government to go, you know, work in like the far north, like to work in the Yukon or something like that, right? So so it's a long way of saying that cost went up very meaningfully um, in the mining sector uh, as the price of gold went up. So margins didn't rise when the price of gold went up. And 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 that really hurt the gold miners. So, I mean, Newmont had a specific example where it, it did a deal with uh, Newcrest is no large Aussie producer. So they, they've had these idiosyncratic issues. You know, you mentioned Newmont, they are the biggest. But um, by and large, within the mining sector, the reason that they haven't had the big run that uh, the price of gold has had or haven't kept up with the, the move in the gold price is because their costs have gone up. And Chris, if you look at some of the large producers like Newmont, Barrick, or Agnico, what gold price are these producers factoring in? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, like right now I have a company. I mean, maybe a good way to say it is that like I have Agnico, um, which isn't going through this like idiosyncratic issue with Newmont with the Newcrest integration. But let's just say Agnico, which is a good solidly run company. I'd say the the, the bellwether um, in the industry now, given what's happening with Newmont. Um, Agnico is trading at around one times its net asset value based on the current spot gold price of around 2050 an ounce. So historically, back in good times, Agnico was trading at like, say, at least 1.2 times NAV because they've proven in the, in the past that they can, like, they can accrete their net asset value. They can grow their net asset value. So it should trade at a premium to its net asset value. They, then they grow their net asset value by finding more gold by making good acquisitions, building mines, that kind of thing. Um, so historically, it's traded, say, at 1.2, 1.25 times NAV. And right now, it's trading at one time. So, you know, theoretically, you could say that it's trading at a gold price, which is 20 to 25% lower than the current gold price. You know what I mean? That's like That's like one way of saying it, right? So is that because it should be trading 25% higher it's factoring at a gold price, which is 25% lower. So that would mean, I guess, if gold's at 2000 broadly, you know, that would mean it's, uh, what is that? 1500, I guess, maybe something like that. 1600, something like that. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's factoring at a lower gold price based on, based on historic multiples for the, for the stock. And Chris, do you think that the large buying that's going on by the central banks throughout the world, that they are artificially keeping the, gold price up. And I guess another way to frame that question is that if they weren't buying, would the gold price be significantly lower than where it is right now? Um, I think so. I think it would. I mean, I, I think that they've been a huge boon to the gold price. Yeah. Given the, given the um, redemptions and, and sales that we've seen from the gold backed ETF. So, um, you know, but, but I think, you know, I do like to look at it as a, a, a cup half full from a, a gold investor's perspective in that um, like this issue with the confiscation of the gold reserves by the U.S. and the potential rise in geopolitical tensions. Um, I mean, I think that the Chinese, frankly, probably are looking at um, 
at the U.S. election in November and see that there's a relatively high likelihood that Trump's going to win. Um, he's been more antagonistic. He was more antagonistic towards China um, than Biden is. So, like, it seems unlikely to me that the Chinese are going to stop buying gold now. Um, and the Chinese central bank. And it, it seems unlikely to me that, again, these other central banks that have been buying are going to stop doing that. So, you know, the cup half full is if they keep buying um, and they're they, they're pretty price insensitive, if they keep buying and, you know, have that kind of base low demand, then if the ETFs do change and switch and start to buy instead of sell or even flatten out, then the gold price should go a lot higher. And that's the that's the cup half full, you know, uh, view of the of, of what's happening, of, of the dynamic now in the sector. Chris, you made an interesting point about the U.S. election that's happening this year. And I read an article recently uh, which discussed the number of elections that's being held in 2024. And it's referred to as the election super cycle. There's going to be over 83 elections being held throughout the world. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what this will mean to the price of gold. Well, I mean, you know, I think that it will be helpful from that perspective of the of the writ of the geopolitical risks and that kind of thing in terms of central bank buying. Like I said, I mean, theoretically, I mean, like if he comes in and um, cuts taxes and and I mean, I, I, I think that by and large, it would be probably a marginal negative because he probably would get things like more back in order, you know, relative to um, the amount of spending that we've seen, uh, fiscal spending, there, there probably would be less fiscal spending. Um, so, I mean, last time around, when on like the night of Trump's election in 2016, I do remember the price of gold spiked when it, we saw that he won. And then like, but it was just overnight. And then the next morning it declined because the market had the view that um, that the Republicans were going to be fiscally conservative and kind of, of get things back in order. But like, I don't know. I mean, it seems like so much has happened since then. And I mean, we're even seeing now that there is this bipartisan deal, it seems, where, where Congress, well, Congress passed a bipartisan deal. Now we're, we're in a set in, in the, the Senate has to pass it. But it was overwhelmingly supported by both parties of another tax cut, an $83 billion tax cut. And what does that mean? It's another $83 billion of borrowing. So, um, and and again, I mean, Trump, you know, he's a borrower. That's that's what he's done in his entire, you know, commercial career is borrow, borrow, borrow. So like I, I you know, I, I, I think it, it, it'll really be a, a, a neutral from a, a fiscal monetary perspective, but um, but I think that from a geopolitical perspective, it'll be a little bit of a positive. Chris, you made mention earlier that gold producers are trading below their NAVs. And I want to get your opinion on royalty companies. Historically, they're always trading at a premium to their NAV. What are your thoughts on royalties here? And I guess more specifically, I'm looking at Franco Nevada because of the Cobra Panama situation. Well, royalties are actually big holding in our fund and they're just great. They're ballast in the portfolio because um, so just a royalty company, again, it gets a certain percentage of the revenue from a mine. So it, it's, it, it didn't, so royalty companies didn't experience this big inflation um, 
that I was describing um, that that happened for the for the um, for the big mining companies, or not just big mining companies, but for the, the the producing companies. So so because of that, you know, they did really well when the price of gold went up, and um, they also benefit on the downside. So in a tough market like now, like a tough uh, equity market for gold miners, they benefit because they're a source of capital. Um, what they do is they take, you know, so they're generating cash flow from the revenue, you know, from the royalty revenue that they get. And they also borrow money or they, then they, they pay a dividend, but they redeploy that capital that they get. And they even borrow money and, on, and uh, you know, lever up their balance sheets to give to um, uh, production companies or development stage companies as a source of financing uh, so that they can bring a project um, into production. And so they'll, they'll give money up front to a company in exchange for the right to a certain percentage of the revenue from that specific project in the future. So, so like they benefit in the upside and in the downside, and they've been great investments uh, for us uh, and, and for our clients for a very long time. Um, but, you know, they, I'll, I'll get to Franco in a sec, but, um, but, you know, so, in a, in a good market, so we have to be cognizant. If the market does start to turn, if we do see a recession and uh, the price of gold runs and and the recession even causes uh, mining costs to stabilize and margins to really expand, then we have to start switching out of the royalty companies and into the production companies because those are going to have a lot more torque to the upside. Um, Franco is a specific scenario where... Uh, you know, they, they've always traded at the highest premium. They've been the best. They've been around for the longest. Um, it's a big holding in our fund. Their largest royalty is on a mine in uh, Panama, a copper mine. And Franco has the right to all of the gold that this copper mine produces as a byproduct. The mine's called Cobre Panama. It's owned by First Quantum, which is a, um, you know, a Canadian-based uh uh, multi-asset mining company. Uh, it's, it's a long story, but due to protests and various political considerations that are like totally, in my mind, just wacky things that happened in Panama, uh, the uh, the mine was closed. So the, the government closed the mine and um, now it's not producing. And, you know, there's a question as to whether or not it, it will ever reopen. I mean, it's absurd. Uh, frankly, to think that it that it won't reopen, but there is a distinct possibility um, that it won't. And so right now, if if I include Cobre Panama as an asset, is trading Franco's trading at a very big discount um, to where it has historically and to its peers. If I take Cobre Panama out, it's trading in line with where it has historically, um, which might be you know a little bit too high given that. Um, given that, you know, it, it, it might start to trade at a discount if Cobra Panama is closed indefinitely. Interesting points, Chris. And I'm sorry, where do you say Franco is trading on an EV basis? On a price to NAV? I mean, again, so from recollection, like if I include Cobra Panama, it's trading at say like 1.4 times NAV. And if I take Cobra Panama out, it's trading at around um no sorry 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 sorry. yeah yeah sorry all right i take cobra panama out it's trading at like two times nav 
which is historically where it's traded around two times NAV. So, or like 1.9, something like that times NAV. So like, so, so now the market seems to be pricing Cobra Panama out. But the thing is, if Cobra Panama is taken out, it probably won't trade at its historical high multiple because the market's going to say, well, these guys got this one wrong. You know, they got the Cobra Panama wrong. Whereas historically it's traded at such a big, uh, at, at the biggest premium because they, you know, Franco just gets everything right. And they, they have historically for the past 20 years. So, um, that's the deal. Now, the, the mine was just closed, I think like November or something like that of last year. So it's only been closed for a couple of months. There's an election in Panama in May and there's a view and it's, it's huge. The, the, the mine is 5% of the GDP of the country. Um, so again, and, and it's never had any, any environmental issues, never any pro like there were never any leaks or out of its tailing facility. Like everything was up to not like it, it, it operated well, like, like very well for, for three years, I think three or four years. So it's very strange what, what happened there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're hopeful that it reopens, but we'll see. Yes. One of the things I find fascinating about mining is the geopolitical elements. And this is one of those situations where you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. And we don't know quite often that it comes down to money. And I'm sure that's the case here. Well, so, so something's happening, which again, because it, it doesn't make sense. And, and, you know, we've heard that there were issues with like, with like a, again, we don't own First Quanta. So we, so, but we've heard that there are issues with a union, maybe like, like First Quantum used like a different union from like the main union to build and operate the trucking union or something like that to operate the mine in Panama. So now this main trucking union might have been financing protests to an extent um, to get the mine closed so that maybe First Quantum will use this new, you know, this, 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 this new union, this, uh, this first union. And again, as it, you know, like, look, things are screwy in the U.S. too, but like, this is super screwy, frankly. And um, because this is like, because, because the company and investors have put billions of dollars um, into this mine. And, and, and even us, I mean, we've, we, in, in our holding and owning and investing in Franco, Franco invested a billion dollars in this project in order to get the rights to the, to the gold. Um, so like, you know, for the, for the Panamanian government, like it, it just, it, it doesn't look good for Panama, um, for this to happen. And I mean, you know, it, it would just be shocking for, um, for investors to put more money into the country, given what's happened here, extremely opaque and strange. So hopefully, again, you know, they get it sorted. But um, yeah, I mean, th these are these are the things, again, that we have to really it, it, it makes it very interesting uh, for us, obviously, for, for me as a as a portfolio manager to 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 try to figure out all these ins and outs and risks of, of all these various jurisdictions. Chris, I have to get your opinion on Bitcoin. We can't have a discussion on gold without talking about Bitcoin. And the SEC recently approved 11 Bitcoin ETFs, including some associated with the largest fund managers in the world, Fidelity and BlackRock. And I want to get your views on maybe this is another reason why gold is not performing the way you would expect it would. Do you think Bitcoin is taking away a lot of capital from the gold trade? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I, I think so. So Bitcoin, I mean, what do I think? 
I think number one, I mean, sure, it's it's taken away some interest from gold, and um, and so it has been a, a a headwind to the gold price. You know, will it continue be to be? I'm not sure. I mean, I I think it'll be a amongst like like a younger cohort. I think maybe you know, 40 years old and younger. Um, there might be this aspect of like, you know, sure, let me have some Bitcoin instead of gold. I think though most people are just like most people in Bitcoin now are in it from a speculative perspective and haven't really thought about the big cosmic elements of Bitcoin relative to it being an asset which is rare and not replicable and nobody else's liability. Um, I think that's what got it started. Um, it, it, you know, like digital gold is what they were calling it um, originally. But I think what's what's really got it moving has been just speculators who have no concept of any of that. So, you know, I mean, so it's it's been a let's say say a a, a marginal headwind. Um, I do think that at the end of the day, you know, what's happening is gold right now is the reason that money's coming out of gold ETFs is because number one, we're having this Goldilocks scenario um, or this narrative of this Goldilocks. But number two is that higher rates do cause an opportunity cost to hold in gold, which yields nothing. Right. So, so it's a, it's a natural correlation to see savers sell some gold when interest rates go up and maybe put that into a money market fund which is right now yielding, like we have a money market fund here, which is yielding 5.3% or 5.4%. Um, and it's all U.S. Treasury money markets. So like, you know, there there is that element of it. So, I, you know, I, I think gold's kind of been doing what, in terms of the ETF flows, it's been doing what it probably should have been doing, or it's been doing what, what makes sense, you know, from a correlation perspective relative to interest rates. But you know, from a from a Bitcoin, you know, I, I just think that it's going to be like my big picture on Bitcoin is that like, number one, again, the central banks are going to buy gold or and are buying gold. Number two, if we do, in fact, have a severe inflation in the United States, a hyperinflation, something similar to what's happened in Argentina, Argentina dollarizes its economy. The United States, if there's a hyperinflation here, we can't dollarize our economy and we're not going to like tie our currency to the Canadian dollar, you know, Jimmy, or the um, or the <laughs> or the or the euro or the Mexican peso. What you know, you know, what are we going to do? We would tie our currency to gold because we have the biggest reserve. We have eighty three hundred tons of gold. So like, or you know, peg our currency to gold. So. So like gold is this and 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 when people I, I guess the big picture point is when people start to realize start to think in that cosmic way about gold what it really is the qualities that make it what it is I think that they'll go there instead of bitcoin. So I'm I'm you know confident that um that that gold's going to maintain its position notwithstanding that this kind of speculative um uh interest in in bitcoin. Yes, there's nothing better than gold in the hand. Exactly. Hard asset, right? You can drop it on your foot and it actually hurts, right? So you so you know it's there. Chris, a lot of the discussion so far has been focused around the retail investor and why they're not buying gold and gold equities and why they're trading at big discounts. But I'm sure you're aware of the fact that Costco started selling gold bars in the latter part of 2023. 
And during their last quarter, they made mention of the fact that they sold over $100 million worth of gold, which is quite a bit. And they have 72 million members. So there could be huge demand coming from these members. But I'm curious on why you think Costco started selling gold. And also, what does this mean when you see this amount of people buying gold? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's that's actually a really great point. It's very meaningful. I mean, I think because it does come back to the whole like, like what I was saying in terms of interest rates and GLD flows and that I think that there is some element of, of that being retail, you know, like the, the GLD flows relative to interest rates. But I think it's also correlation trades like GLD is very liquid. I think it's, it's something like $55 billion in GLD. It trades all the time. Very, very liquid. Again, I don't, I don't know the billions of dollars it trades today, but I, but I do think that like that, um, that algos and that macro funds use it as a way to kind of manifest another trade. So meaning, meaning like, how do I bet on higher um, short-term rates? And, and they'll do that through selling or shorting GLD. Um, but when you look at the retail, like the average mom and pop on the street, they do feel that something's not right. You know, they do, they do understand. They're like, wait a second, why have things gone up so much? Why, you know, like what, what was happening where they were just sending me checks in the mail? Like, oh, like uh, or my, my, my buddy was paid to stay home and not work. And then he, he was, you know, trading Bitcoin, trading, but like, this just doesn't, this just doesn't feel right. And, um, and, and I think that that's being manifested in the purchase of, of all this gold at Costco. Walmart has started selling gold. And, and, and what's, what's noteworthy also is that um, Costco says that they sell out like really quickly, like, like who, who knows how much they could be selling if they were to really stock it there. So, so I, so I think that, you know, that it, it, it is meaningful in that, like, in that the average man on the street in the U S does understand that, or does have a feeling that things just are really unsettled um, and they want to have that hard asset. Very good point, Chris. And I also shop at Costco and every time I go there and I'm dropping 500 bucks and I'm not buying any gold bars, but I can't get over the rate of inflation that we are now experiencing throughout the economy. And even though the gold, the government says it's only running around three to 4%, I don't believe that for one second. I think it's significantly higher, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have four kids and, you know, and they, and they eat a lot and, um, and like, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's so expensive to go to the grocery store now. Um, and it, it just, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just not, it's not adding up and you see the price of things like, you know, a bag of chips is, you know, five bucks. And, um, it's just, it's not, it's not adding up. People see that, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they're like, wait a second, you know, let me just have, I think, let me just have a little bit of gold here. Um, so you know, I, I, and I and I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense. No, and thank God the price of oil is hanging around in the low 70s because if it were to break above 100 or 125, man, we would be in for some real trouble. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, Chris, I want to move the discussion now toward what you're hearing from investor investors and advisors. I know you speak to a lot of investors on a regular basis, but I'm curious to hear what you're hearing from them just in terms of gold versus Bitcoin debate? I think that by and large, what's well, interesting, I mean, I think by and large, they ask the question. I mean, and by and large also, in 
the advisors who are established um, are older. You know, they're like my age or older. I'm I'm 47, right? So, um, so they they are kind of like you know, what about Bitcoin? You know, they 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 aren't. They aren't saying that they'll have Bitcoin over gold, but they're just asking about it, kind of like you did. Um, but there are younger ones, like like you know, I was telling you before, I have, I have a friend who's a very successful advisor in New York City, um, and I spoke to him about gold a couple of like like maybe two years ago now, and um, and he was saying, you know, he's like, no, I'm not in gold. I'm in I'm in Bitcoin. I'm in crypto and that kind of thing. So, I mean, there is that there is that age kind of like bifurcation there, I think, to an extent. But um, but I think that that I think that people do realize, like, again, the, the, the conversations by and large are just like like they, they, they realize that gold has been around, obviously, since the beginning of time. And there's 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 some value to that. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a it's it's more questioning now than a, than a firm, you know, forget gold. I would Bitcoin. Well, Chris, that was a great discussion on gold and gold equities and what the benefits are in terms of owning it in your portfolio. As we wrap up, an investor would like to learn more about you and your thoughts on gold or learn about the Billy Gold Fund. Where can they go? Well, I mean, actually, you could email me directly. I'm. Um, C Mancini at gabelli.com and I'd be uh, happy to get emails from you. Um, and uh, you could also call 1-800-GABELLI. Um, and if you have any questions, like if you'd like to invest in the Gabelli Gold Fund, um, you know, we'd obviously be thrilled and and you could call them and, uh, and, and they could help you out. They could answer questions. They could even put you in touch with me um, if, if they can't answer your questions, I'd be happy to talk to you actually. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and also like if you're on like Fidelity or Schwab or whatever, um, the, the Gabelli gold funds, the, the symbol, the symbol there is G O L D X. Well, Chris, after giving out your personal information, you might be inundated with emails and phone calls. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I, that's, that, that's fine. I, I, I look forward to the questions, you know, and I, uh, you know, and um, we'll see how they come. I, I don't have to answer them, right? But uh, but but you can still send them. <laughs> no, but I will. I will answer them if you send them. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, Chris, that was a great discussion. I want to thank you very much for making time today. And I look forward to our next discussion. Okay. Yeah, sounds great, Jimmy. Anytime. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Chris Mancini. And you gained some insight into the benefits of owning precious metals in your portfolio. One of the reasons we do these interviews is to help you determine where the economy is going and also determine the impact that certain assets will have on your portfolio. And if you need help in understanding what's happening in the economy and also how to structure your portfolio, consider having a discussion with a Wealthion endorsed financial advisor at Wealthion.com. There's no obligation to work with any of these advisors. It's a free service that Wealthion offers to all of its viewers. Once again, I want to thank you very much for spending time with us today, and I look forward to seeing you again soon.